Well, I'm finishing up a series today. We've been in one called uh, Different by Design. And on week one, my wife and I, Tisa, shared about men and women and how different we are. And we're different, aren't we? I mean, yeah, we're different. And then on week two, Nathan and Chantel talked about commitment issues. And then last week, John and Glendy talked to us about marriage. And so I'm going to go all the way around the bases to home base and talk about sex today, okay? No pun intended. But hey, sex and sexuality, because it has a lot to do with our relationships. So if that's an awkward topic for you, just sit back and relax. You know, uh, listen from your heart. Listen to the whole thing. Don't get up and leave. Just uh, let God speak to you today. And what I want to do is kind of just start by addressing the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is that all of us are broken. All of us are in need of healing, of mending, of some different perspectives that God wants to shape the way we think. All of us have been influenced by this society we live in, by our culture, by media, by TV, by movies, by internet, by easy access to pornography. I mean, all of us... It's not just a problem out there, it's a problem in here. And it's not just a problem with you, it's a problem with me. It's a problem with every one of us. And we just need to level the playing field and just call it like it is, God, help. We need your help. We need God in our lives and in the way we talk and think about and process sex and sexuality as it factors into our relationships. Well, the Bible says that we were created for good, that God made us in his image, male and female. And he made us to have relationship with himself. He made us to have a deep intimacy with him and to experience intimacy with one another. And he said it was good. He said it was very good. Now, notice in this making of us and this calling us image bearers of God, that our image and our identity is found in who we are in him. It's that you are a child of God, a son or daughter of God. You are an image bearer to reflect his glory to the world, that your identity and my identity is not my sexual preference. It's not about my sexuality or my gender. My identity is rooted and grounded in the God who made me and loves me. Don't cheapen it. Don't make it smaller than it is. It's big. It's important. And God wants us to know that, that when we're grounded in who we are, in him, dearly loved and made and created by him to enjoy intimacy with our Father and with other people. That's, that's the root of it. The problem is we've been damaged by evil. The first humans declared their independence from God and turned to evil, which damaged them and everything around them, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and sexually. See, God intended sex for good, but out of our brokenness, we've twisted it and we've made sex an idol. Now, against popular opinion, I just want to state right here, right now, 
none of us needs sex in order to be happy and in order to be whole. Let that sink in for a moment. See, our core identity is not in our sexuality. It's in our relationship with God and the intimacy that he calls us into and the intimacy that we can experience with one another. To experience sex all day long is no guarantee of any intimacy at all. On the other hand, you can have deep relationship with same sex or with opposite sex, experiencing intimacy without any sex involved in the relationship at all. And that's good news. It's important that we understand that, that we know that. That's good news for every single person, every person hoping to be married one day, every widow, every divorced person, and including every married person, right? Because just because you get married doesn't mean you have sex all the time. It's important for us to understand that the wholeness and the holiness and the completeness and the joy and the fulfillment and the happiness that God calls us to is not contingent or dependent upon sex. And if you think that it is, just ask a sex addict, and they will tell you it does not lead to happiness. Justin Bieber, a former sex addict, that's right, the Beeb, commented in an interview a couple years ago about his desire to follow God, which is really cool, seeing, seeing him make those steps to following God. He said, hey, I don't want to have sex until I'm married. That was, of course, after a lot of mistakes in his life, which he says he kept. Well, the Beeb said this. He said, God doesn't ask us not to have sex because he wants rules and stuff. He's like, I'm trying to protect you from hurt and pain. I think sex can cause a lot of pain. Sometimes people have sex because they don't feel good, don't feel good enough, and because they lack self-worth. I think that coming out of that long season of confusion and heartache in his own life kind of came to some, some conclusions that I think have have some truth in them. But thanks be to God, Jesus Christ came to set us free. He came to restore and to redeem and to renew. He came to heal the brokenness in our lives, first with our relationship with him, and then with our relationship with one another and including sexuality. Jesus came to bring life and bring it to the full, and he wants the very best for you and me in every area of our lives, including our sexuality. When you become a follower of Jesus, you let Jesus lead the way, right? And we become his followers, not just in our religious life, not just in a church, but in the bedroom too. Jesus is Lord of my sex life. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he's Lord of your sex life too. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. He said, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. 
He's saying, offer your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. See, your body is not your own. It belongs to God. And when it comes to sex, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to how we think about it and our values, and which are often being reshaped in the days we live in, it, are they being squeezed by this world and by the culture? Or is your attitudes, your values, the way you think about it, being informed by God and his word? And it's something all of us contend with because this culture is wanting to squeeze us into a box, into a, a way of thinking and believing that goes down a certain pathway. So what are God's thoughts on sex? Is he for? Is he against? Pro, con? Here's the good news. God is for sex. Can I hear an amen? God's not interested in us just having kids, working jobs, being good, reading the Bible and praying. God made the marriage relationship between a man and a woman, and he wants them to experience everything the relationship can offer. And that includes great sex, passionate, selfless sex that fuels a red-hot love affair within your marriage. Sex was created by God. Let's look at what the scripture says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, enjoy frequent sex. Well, it wasn't really those words. He said, be fruitful and multiply. But go figure out how you can be fruitful and multiply. So... Why sex? Well, first, most obvious thing is procreation, right? That he, he wanted, there was only two people first created. It kind of needs to get busy having those babies, right? But it wasn't just for the propagation of the species. It was to expand the kingdom of God. For godly seed to be in the earth and for godliness to rule the earth. But there was something even more significant than just procreation. God designed people for intimacy. And as I said earlier, we don't have to have sex in order to enjoy intimacy or to be happy or to be whole. But God did create sex for a man and a woman, a husband and a wife to enjoy together, to keep the fires of their love hot and to experience another dimension and depth of intimacy. Marriage, for those of you who are married, it's hard work, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot of responsibility. There's a lot of self-sacrifice. There's a lot of serving. There's, there, there's, there's uh, stress that can come. You're navigating through this stuff. And then if you have kids, that piles on a whole other thing. Thank God, the gift of sex to deepen that sense of intimacy, to regroup, to have fun together, it's needed. Genesis 2.25 says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Isn't that good news? God created you to not deal with shame, to not experience shame. He wants us to live guilt-free, shame-free lives. And we see that right here with the first man and woman. They were naked. Intimacy is about nakedness with your spouse, not just physically, but spiritually, Socially, emotionally, financially, 
mentally, relationally, in every way where we, we grow in this depth of intimacy. Genesis 4.1 says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. In the Old Testament, it often uses the word to know when it's talking about sex because it's talking about this deep knowing, this deep intimacy that goes beyond the physical act of sex. Genesis 4 tells us Eve got pregnant. So yes, procreation is a part of it, but I'm sure they're having fun running around out in the wild there too. Sex is more than procreation or recreation, it's consecration. And consecrate means sex express, expressing total dedication, total commitment in a covenant of marriage. That it's this dedication to this individual for life. Sex is sacred before God. Do you know that whenever you have sex, God is watching? Is that kind of creepy? It's not supposed to be. It's actually kind of cool because God made it and it's holy when it's, when it's experienced in his context. The biggest misconception, distortion, is that sex is simply this physical act, kind of a consensual, casual sex. There's no such thing as casual sex. Sex that's casual is called prostitution. Whether it's for money or whether you're giving it away for free, sex was intended by God as a commitment to oneness, being joined together at a physical level, but also emotional, intellectually, and in every other way, something that was sacred and something to be enjoyed. Now, sex and marriage is to be fun and to be fulfilling. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18 and 19 says, May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer, May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. He's saying, don't let your focus ever drift from your wife or from your husband. Don't try and get your needs met somewhere else. Always go back to reigniting the passion that's in that marriage. And you're allowed to be intoxicated with her love. Get high on her love. And it gets even better than this. I think the problem is people don't like to talk about godly sexual relationships because they think God is like a prude. That God's like all like lights off, don't talk, missionary position only. And that's not true. When you read the scripture, we find out that there's this explicit and imaginative, creative way to, ways in order to enjoy sex. And God has an imagination, let me tell you. Read the song of songs in the Bible. When the Bible was being canonized, which is that, that process that the Bible went through to decide which of these books are actually sacred uh, and authoritative. And the Song of Songs was debated whether because of its explicit and its erotic nature was going to be one of those that was decided as inspired by the Holy Spirit that needed to be in there for all for all people of all time, because it depicts this beauty of sexually passionate, fun, red-hot, married relationship, the beloved and the lover. I want to read a little of it for you. Chapter 7, Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. Oh, 
How beautiful you are. This is the husband speaking to the wife. How pleasing, my love, how full of delights. You are slender like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like grape clusters and the fragrance of your breath like apples. May your kisses be as exciting as the best wine. And then the young wife says, yes, wine that goes down smoothly for my lover, flowing gently over lips and teeth. I am my lover's and he claims me as his own. Come, my love, let us go out to the fields and spend the night among the wildflowers. Let us get up early and go to the vineyards to see if the grapevines have budded and if the blossoms have opened and if the pomegranates have bloomed. There I will give you my love. And every guy in the room is going, man, I need to meet, read more of the Bible. I think I'm, I'm going to start my devotion in the Song of Songs and meditate on these truths. Notice that the wife is taking initiative. She's going, let's go on a weekend romantic uh, time together and get naked and run around outdoors. All kinds of like creative exploration going on there. Now you know why those bishops were blushing when they agreed, hey, this is inspired word of God. It needs to be included in sacred scripture. And in case you think that this is just some anomaly out of this incredible poem, Paul, the apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he was a single man. He said, you married couples need to be having more sex. He said, matter of fact, you should only cease from having sex in your marriage if you're going through a time of prayer or fasting. And so now you know why a lot of guys aren't fasting, right? <laughs> Here's what it says. A husband has the responsibility of meeting the sexual needs of his wife and likewise a wife to her husband. Did you catch that? Sex isn't just about your needs. It's about your spouse's needs. It's about meeting those needs. And to meet needs, we've got to be open to talk about it in our marriages and find out what pleases our spouse and what doesn't, and then be able to give ourselves to one another in that context. I know for some of you right now, you're cringing because Sex is a very painful or difficult, difficult topic. Maybe in your head you're like, yeah, I know I should appreciate it more. But in your heart, it's a struggle. Stats show us that one in four women and one in six men have been sexually abused. And those are just the reported stats. And those abuses greatly affect future intimate relationships with your spouse. So if your spouse has suffered abuse of any kind, be patient, use caution, manage your own expectations so you're not heaping more pressure on them. Don't seek sexual fulfillment somewhere else. Seek healing in your marriage and lovingly, lovingly help your spouse to get the courage they need to be able to deal with it and maybe even invite a Christian counselor into that process. God's grace is sufficient to heal to heal us from our brokenness, and we all have it. He wants you to live guilt-free and shame-free. Shame suffocates our spiritual life, and he wants us to come out from underneath that and find the healing that is available. Let me share one other thing that God is for. 
He's for purity. Purity literally means freedom from contamination or distortion. And God wants all of us, both married and single people, to walk in sexual purity. But to the single person, he has a special word found in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 7. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. In other words, he's saying, if you awaken the sexual part of you before you're married, you're going to reap a lot of problems in your life. It's Mike's translation of that, okay? Saying just let it lie. I wish I could tell you that was my story for all of my life, but it wasn't. It was for Tisa, and she's had a whole lot less problems than I have with that. But I created a lot of pain in my life from the time I was 11 till the time I was 20. I was sexually active, and I just got so messed up and so confused and reaped so many problems because of it. I used people, and people used me. And that's why God says, don't go there in a relationship. Just build friendships. I don't have any of friendships with those people from my past because their sex ruined it. Just build the friendship. It's not meant to become a marriage, so just remain close friends. Thankfully, when I was 20, I, I started coming into this understanding that God loved me. And I started to understand that my identity was rooted and grounded in him. And I started to understand that I was forgiven and released of shame. And I, I had to come out of an addiction to pornography. I had to come out of some twisted thinking. I had to come out of a lot of things. But thankfully, I was able to enjoy like a three and a half to four year period of time before I was married where I walked in purity. And it was awesome. And I wish I could tell you it was a lot longer than that. But here's the good news. No matter what mistakes you've made, no matter how far you've blown it, no matter where you are today in your life, God wants to change it. He, wants, he doesn't want your life to be defined by your past or by your sins or by your mistakes. He wants to move you into a new future where there's healing and freedom. And yes, freedom exists. And some of, some of us in the room are like, I don't know if I can ever be free. I make mistakes all of the time and I feel shameful and guilty. And God says there is freedom and it does exist. And yes, it's for you. And you can walk in that. Yes, you may need other people around you to pray for you and help. You might need to confess that to somebody you trust. You might need the help of a Christian counselor. You might need things in your life to bolster you and support you and hold you accountable. But you can walk in freedom. And you can stay pure. And that goes for both single people and married people. And come on, man, we ought to be leading the way in this purity thing. I mean, it's a manly thing to walk in purity up till the time you're married. I mean, this culture tells us that it's prudish, it's ignorant, it's naive. I love uh, quarterback, Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson's story and his wife, Sierra, they made the wise decision to wait to have sex until they got married. And Sierra said, I really believe that when you focus on a friendship, you have the opportunity to build a strong foundation for a relationship. And once you know you're really great friends and you're what we call equally yoked, where you share the same values, the same outlook on life, it kind of sets the tone knowing that you'll always have the friendship and that you can always go back to it is very important and very powerful. 
and their own statements is that they stayed true to that promise up until the time they were married. You see, when we misuse sex, sex will misuse you. God isn't against sex. He made it. It's just that he wants it to be in the context of a marriage between a man and a woman for life, and he wants us to learn how to enjoy intimacy. Men with men, women with women, men with women, women with men, intimacy without sex. And it's possible. That's what God made us for. Hebrews 13.4 says marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. God's saying that judgment, that's the pain. That's the brokenness on top of brokenness. That's the shame. That's, the, that's the, all of the issues that come out of when we ignore that. And when we go, you know what? I am going to please myself. That's the, that is the kind of the religion of the culture. I'm going to please myself. Sex, it's about me. I decide what I am. I decide what I'll do. I decide when, where, how. And that, I understand that with people who don't know Jesus because their religion is self-gratification. But with Christians, it should be different because it's not about us. God's goal is not to make you happy. It's to make you holy, whole and alive, experiencing deep relationships in the letter to the Corinthians, which, by the way, was a culture much like ours, over-sexualized, idolizing sex, totally confused. It started bleeding into the church. And the apostle Paul, to bring clarity, said this. He said, surely you must know that people who practice evil cannot possess God's kingdom realm. Stop being deceived. People who continue to engage in sexual immorality, idolatry, adultery, Sexual perversion, homosexuality, fraud, greed, drunkenness, verbal abuse or extortion, these will not inherit God's kingdom realm. And notice that all of those, that list, all those things have one thing in common. It's about me. It's me trying to please me. And yet God, God's word says it, or Paul goes on and he says it's true. Some of you once lived in those lifestyles. I know I have. But now you have been purified from sin, made holy, and given a perfect standing before God, all because of the power of the name of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, and through our union with the Spirit of God. He's saying that was you, but that's not to be you moving forward. God has something better for you. There's an intimacy with his Spirit and an intimacy with people that we can grow into and learn and enjoy and experience real life. Jesus came to redeem and restore your soul, your identity, and your sexuality. See, that, that does depict many of us. Many of us in the room, we're porn addicts. We're adulterers. We're sexually immoral. We're homosexual. We're whatever, adulterers. We're greedy. We're idolaters. And, and yet, we all stand in equal need of Jesus. It's not one person pointing fingers at another. They all point back to you and me and say, God, you have something better for me. God, teach me. I've been so influenced by this world, so squeezed into its mold. 
show me how to live out my sexuality. Show me how to live out my true identity. Help me not turn to this culture and all of the influx of, of media and politics and entertainment and movie stars and the culture that's wanting to convince us to go down a certain path. Just say, Lord, I'm in need of healing from my brokenness. Forgive my sins. Renew my mind. Free me from my addictions. Show me how to begin to experience real intimacy in my relationships. And in my marriage, God, bring healing there too. Each year, the Israelites, they're known to have read the Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs, before their most important religious celebration of the year, the Passover, and the reading of the Torah. And the most this important celebration for the Jewish nation begins with the reading of this very romantic book. And you know why? The Song of Songs? Because at a deeper level, it's about God's desire for his bride. It's about his passionate desire for you and me to know us and for us to be known. He wants relationship with you and he wants us to be healed and he wants us to begin to see things in a fresh way. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray together. God, we just come to you humbly. Lord, we all are in need of healing and wholeness. We've all been squeezed into a mold through this culture, God, that we need you to set us free. Lord, I know in the room there are areas of hurt and pain and abuse from the past, and I pray for my friends and ask, Lord, for your healing power to be released right now, to cause a new level of faith and courage to rise up to pursue healing and to be released from shame. Lord, I pray for my single friends in the room, whether they're single wanting to be married one day or divorced or widowed, whatever their situation may be, and I pray, God, that you will show them intimacy exists without needing sex to be a part of it. And Lord, that you will just cause deep, abiding friendships where there's love, where there's trust, where there's commitment. God, I pray for every married couple and ask, Lord, that you would stoke those embers of passion and love again in every marriage. Lord, where it's become mundane and old and predictable and maybe not even existent, Lord, I pray that you will, you will create, Lord, a new passion of discussion and conversation and healing in marriages where passionate sex can take place yet again. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, cleanse us and heal us. We turn back to you and ask for your help. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never, you've never really stepped across the line of faith and asked Jesus Christ to be Lord. You're still managing your own happiness. God invites you. God died on the cross for you. 
He wants to lead you into something so much better than you can find yourself. And if that's you, I invite you to pray this prayer, just extending your heart to God, inviting him in. Jesus, as much as I know how, I place my faith and my trust in you. What you did on the cross, dying there for me, paying the penalty of all of my mistakes and all of my sin. And I receive you. And I ask God that you lead me into this intimate relationship. I I want to know you. I want to experience you. And I pray that you begin mending the broken places of my life and lead me into wholeness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Mike. Uh, it is now the end of the service, so if you'd like some prayer, uh, we have a prayer team right over here on this side of the stage. I'd love to agree with you in prayer. If you're new here at our church, I would love to connect with you at First Connect right over here on this side of the stage. We can talk about how we can get you more connected here at the life of our church. Also, outside in our parking lot at the greenhouse, which is just kind of like kitty corner from our front doors, we have about 10, 15 students that are throwing on a bake sale uh, to raise money uh, for camp. They have about a variety of very healthy snack options that you can buy for two to $300 each. So uh, feel free, walk out there, head to the bake sale, grab a goodie, have a wonderful week.